Fantastic. Thank you so much to the Level family for that amazing animation. I really enjoyed that. So good morning. Uh, my name's Rob. I'm, I'm part of the leadership team here at Christchurch. I'd like to uh, extend my welcome to you as well. Um, I hope uh, you're all well and enjoying uh, this morning from wherever you are seating, seated right now. And I wonder, wherever you are right now, I wonder if you are sitting where you usually sit. I don't know about you, but in my house, um, without even talking about it, we end up coming into the front room and we just sit where we usually sit. Is that the same in your house? I wonder if you have a favorite armchair that you always go to, or perhaps a favorite end of the sofa. Maybe this morning you're watching this sitting on the floor playing, and that's fine too. You see, we, we, we're drawn to where we sit, where we're comfortable, maybe a favorite seat to read in, or a favorite seat when we go out for a walk with a great view. This morning, I'm really missing seeing you here, seated here in this church building, and I can't wait till next week when we can come back. I wonder if you have a favorite seat when you're here on a Sunday morning. And I know how frustrating it is at the moment with our COVID restrictions that we can't sit where we always want to sit. And we can't sit with our friends at the moment. But hopefully soon that will change. Why, you're wondering, am I going on about sitting down so much? Well, this morning we're continuing uh, our series on the uniqueness of Christ. And over the last few months, we've been thinking about his life, thinking about why he is so worthy of praise, why he's central to our faith. And this morning, we're looking at another really important event in his life, and that was his ascension, as we saw in the video. The ascension is a moment when Jesus was lifted up into heaven and sat down in heaven. And that's what we want to look at this morning. Why is the ascension important to us? If we think about the timeline of Jesus' life, we remember 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born, especially as we're coming up to our festive season. And then we remember his death and resurrection, which Sai and Emmy talked about last week. And then the next key moment is the ascension. But after that, the Bible says Jesus will come again. So what about the in-between? That's where we are right now. And we don't often talk about the ascension, do we? But I hope this morning we can unpack it and realize actually there's so much truth that is so important to us. You see, it's easy to look at the ascension as Jesus' big farewell. He died, he rose again, and then he left. The end of the story. But no, that's not true. It wasn't his great curtain call as he left the, uh, the world stage, but in fact, it was the beginning of his heavenly ministry that I'd like to unpack this morning. So I'd like to look at three main questions this morning. Is firstly, what happened at the ascension? What is Jesus doing now that he has ascended? And then what does the ascension mean for us now and in the future? So let's look again at the uh, passage from uh, Acts chapter 1. I'm just going to read it again. We saw it in the video. I'm going to read from verse 3. It says, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will, receive, will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, 
and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go. So we see that the ascension is the, uh, the last moments of Jesus being physically on earth. It follows 40 days when Jesus was appearing to his disciples in small groups and large groups, proving that he really was alive from the dead and continuing to teach them. Now, the biblical accounts of the ascension can be found in Acts 1, but also in the end of Mark and Luke's gospel. In Mark 16, it says, So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. In Luke 24, it said, Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. In some ways, these accounts are very short. There's not many details to go on, but it's an incredible moment, isn't it? As Jesus is physically taken up into the air and out of sight. And that's why we call it the ascension, because he ascended upwards into the sky. There's another ascension-like experience in the Old Testament for Elijah. You can read it in 2 Kings 2. And for Elijah, he was taken up in a whirlwind and surrounded by chariots of fire. But to see Jesus' ascension, what an amazing experience that would be to witness, even if it is completely out of our own experiences. Like everything in the gospel, it is written down as a historical uh, account of an event in Jesus' life. Let's not forget, this is the same Jesus who could walk on water, who calmed the storm, who could raise people from the dead, heal people instantly. The same Jesus who himself died and was raised back to life. Should we be surprised that he can be taken up into the air and into the clouds? Surely there's nothing that God can't do. So where did Jesus go? As we saw from Acts 1, Jesus was hidden by the cloud. Now, this is not a weather report. This is not telling us it's going to rain. This is a different kind of cloud. See, in the Bible, when you see a, uh, the talk about a cloud, it's often a manifestation of God's presence, a cloud of glory. Remember in the Exodus story, when, Jesus, uh, when God led the people by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, he led them by his presence. If we think about when Moses met with God, either on the mountain or in the tent, God came in a cloud. Later, when the temple was built, it says God's presence filled the temple as a cloud. So it's clear that Jesus was taken up into God's presence. And we can see from all the accounts that it says that he went into heaven, back to where he was before he was born as a baby. Now, this is a subtle but really important point to note, that Jesus was taken to a place. He didn't just disappear into thin air. The Bible is clear that he is in heaven, even if we can't see it. But we can take great comfort from remembering this because we too will be with Jesus in heaven one day. And not only has Jesus gone into heaven, but he has intended for us to be there with him too. He said to his disciples in John 14, in my father's house are many rooms. And if I go, I prepare a place for you. And I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you will be also. So the ascension straight away is a reminder that Jesus goes ahead of us and will welcome us to heaven too. What about Jesus' body? Again, this is an important point that we shouldn't miss, that Jesus went physically up into heaven. Jesus has kept his physical body. Now, we celebrate the incarnation, which means we believe that God was truly, fully God. It's like Jesus was fully God and also fully man. And in the ascension, we can see that he still is. 
See, Jesus returned to heaven where he will remain fully God and fully man for all eternity. He rose from the dead and was given his resurrection body, and not just for the 40 days in between, but for all eternity. Remember the angels who asked the disciples why they were staring up at the clouds. They said that Jesus will come back in the same way. So we know that when Jesus returns, he will come not only in power, but with his own resurrection body again. And this is another way that the ascension benefits us. Because Jesus was the first to have a unique resurrection body, we can be assured that one day we will have one too. Paul writes to the Corinthians about the resurrection, and he says that Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, Paul describes them as a first fruit, which to farmers would be very familiar, because you look at the first fruit and you know what the rest of the crop is going to be like. Now, I don't know about you, but I quite like to have a go at growing vegetables and fruits in my garden. I'll be honest, I'm not great at it, but I can do the basics. And something I've learned to do over the years is growing courgettes, which, if you haven't tried, is very easy. I thought it was very easy. The first time I did it, I planted so many, and I didn't realize how big a courgette plant grows, and we were just overrun with courgettes. They were growing faster than we could eat them. And if you go away for a week and you come back, they come, they're the size of marrows. This year, I did exactly the same thing. I planted them in the same way. I watered them in the same way. I gave them all the same conditions. But I could tell when the first fruit began to grow, I thought, we're not going to be overrun with, with courgettes. And I was right. They just grew. Either they were tiny, they were unusual shapes for courgettes, or they just didn't grow at all. I'm not even sure what went wrong. I'll just blame it on lockdown, I think. Unlike my poor attempts, we have Jesus, who was the perfect first fruit. See, there are other examples of people in the Bible who were raised back to life, but Jesus is the only one to be given a resurrection body. And this is a foretaste of the kind of body we're going to get when we are with him too. So in summary so far, when we look at the ascension, Jesus went physically up into the air and returned to heaven where he remains physically with his resurrection body. So the question is, what is Jesus doing now? He's ascended. You see, his ascension is far more significant than him just returning home. And one of the first things we read that Jesus did was to sit down. In Hebrews 1, it says, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, which is the right hand of God. To be sat down at the right hand is a powerful image. It's a symbolic place of honor, of prestige, of power. Imagine meeting royalty or someone powerful or perhaps someone you really admire and being invited to sit right next to them. What an honor that would be. I wonder, who's the most famous person you've sat next to? Perhaps you can, or if you had the choice, if you could sit next to anyone today, who would that be? Perhaps something to talk about later. As a school teacher, I know only too well that to young people and children, who you sit next to is a big deal. But yet nothing can compare to sitting at the right hand of God in heaven. But this shouldn't be a surprise to us because Jesus said this would happen. Remember when he was arrested and taken before the high priest, he said, I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. But what does it actually mean that he sat down? It means many things, but the first thing is that sitting down is a sign of completion, of victory. Jesus completed his earthly ministry. The work of salvation was completed. Remember at the cross, he said, it is finished. I'm sure you can relate to those moments when, uh, on a daily basis perhaps, when you've got done the things you've set out to do and you get to sit down, maybe even put your feet up. 
Even if you do a job that involves sitting down a lot, there's something powerful about sitting down at the end of the day, isn't there? Whether it's your employed work, whether it's getting the housework finished, whether it's schoolwork, exercise, or if you're parents, you'll know this one, when the kids are down. What a moment to sit down then. For me, that's getting later and later as my kids get older. My son Neo recently went on a, a scout hike. He had to carry one of those huge backpacks, you know, the ones with, covered in straps with like a million pockets in them. It weighed a fair bit even when it was empty. And then he had to carry two days' worth of supplies and food and extra rations for emergencies. If I'm completely honest, I wasn't sure how he was going to cope with the weight over that long walk. When I picked him up at the end of the day, he was so tired, and he couldn't wait just to stop and sit down. Yet at the same time, he was beaming from the, the achievement of finishing that walk. He had done it, and the sitting down for him was well-deserved, I think. In a far more glorious way, we have this image of Jesus sitting down after he had accomplished on earth everything he set out to do by giving his life on the cross. God has accepted Jesus for his righteousness and received him into his presence to sit at his right hand. More than that, sitting at God's right hand is a sign that Jesus has been given all honor and glory. So for the Philippians, Paul wrote, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Again, I don't know about you, but I love to see people honored for their achievements and contributions. We see the Queen hand out um, uh, awards and, and honors every year. It's nice to see friends promoted or at least acknowledged for the work that they're doing. We see people honored for their achievements in sport, in music, in film. And we often debate about who the greatest of all time is, perhaps, in their field. We even see it on TV, don't we, in competitions, people honored. Last week, it was Peter winning the uh, Great British Bake Off. Apologies if you haven't watched it. You've had time. Um, who, will be winner, who will be crowned winner of Strictly Ballroom this year? Or perhaps, who will be king or queen of the jungle? Or should I say, Welsh Castle, if you're watching it. You see, we honor people for all kinds of things, don't we? But yet, Jesus was honored above every earthly title that we can give. No one else comes close to the honor that Jesus has been given. As Sai said last week about those moments in history, nothing compares to what Jesus achieved in perfect obedience when he went to the cross. See, we can honor him in our lives, can't we, in response for all that he has done for us first. Jesus is worthy to enter the Father's presence and was exalted above all others. In Revelations 5, it says that he is now worshipped by thousands and thousands in heaven. It says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Our response can only be to worship him too, can't it? Sitting at the right hand of God is also a sign that Jesus has received all authority. To have authority means you're the one who has the right and the power to make decisions for others. The one who has control, who can enforce others to do things. A boss has authority over his company. A head teacher has authority over their school. In Ephesians 1, Paul writes that God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every other name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. As I read through the Old Testament in my daily readings, 
I find it hard not to get frustrated by some of the kings you read about. You see, you get some kings who lead by example and they draw people closer to God. And then you get the next king who's just completely the opposite. You get some who make great wise decisions and then others who abuse their use of power. And there are constant power struggles as they try to fight for the throne with each other. Show who is stronger, who has more authority. You don't need to watch the news for long, do we, to see leaders trying to, trying to show who has the greater authority. And just on that note, you know, we do hope that those in authority over us make good decisions, and it is right that we pray for our leaders. But Jesus has ultimate authority, and he has ultimate power over everything. He is King Jesus on a heavenly throne, and he will not be dethroned by any other. He has made his enemies his footstool. We read that in Psalm 110. And the greatest enemy being death, which he defeated at the cross. Paul reminds us Jesus has authority over everything. Every leader, every ruler, every authority, every power. And this reign will never end. Throughout the Old Testament, God promised that a descendant of David would sit on the throne. In Isaiah 9, a very familiar passage we read at Christmas, it says, To us a child is born, that human descendant, yet he will be known as mighty God. Jesus is the only one who is both. And the prophecy was that that rule would never end. This was fulfilled with Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. He sits with all authority, ruling over his kingdom for all eternity. The kingdom he taught about while he was here on earth. But Jesus is far more than just sitting. And he's certainly, I'm sure, not got his feet up. Just like it would be strange for an earthly king or queen to be sitting on a throne all day long doing absolutely nothing, Jesus is completely active too, and he's doing it for our benefit. In his place at the right hand of the Father, Jesus is interceding for us. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is praying on our behalf. Not only is Jesus the king in heaven, he is also our great high priest too. See, we read that in Hebrews 10. The priest's role was to make sacrifices uh, on behalf of the people before God. The, the high priest was the only one who was allowed in the most holy part of the temple, and then only once a year. And he was there to offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people. In Jesus, we have one who has offered himself as the ultimate sacrifice once for all, for all time. He stands on our behalf now before God, continually defending us and pleading for us so that we who trust in him will never be condemned. Paul makes this point in Romans 8, a well-known passage that reminds us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. He says, who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Kevin DeYoung, uh, he challenges us to really think about that truth. He says, do you realize Christ is our prayer partner in heaven? Isn't that amazing? So Jesus is actively and continually praying to the Father for us and with us, declaring his righteousness over us and granting us access to the Father like he has. Let's take comfort in that fact. Remember, Jesus gave himself fully for us 2,000 years ago, and yet he is still fully for us today and every single day. Amen? What else has Jesus done when he ascended? Well, one of the most important benefits to us of the ascension is that the Holy Spirit was given to us as believers. This was not an afterthought. 
but part of God's eternal plan. Jesus taught his disciples that this would happen and gives another reason why he had to ascend. He said in John 16, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, then I can send him to you. Jesus promised to be with us always, but then he ascended and left. Now, although he was fully God, he was physically limited to one place at any time. But by ascending, he was able then to send the Holy Spirit to us, the third person of the Trinity, and into every believer. See, the Bible often refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. So in this way, Jesus is able to be with us for all time, as he promised to. And now he's no longer limited to one space physically. And this is why leaving earth was an advantage to us. If you think back to the the day of Pentecost, we read in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit came into the disciples, Peter explains this link to the people between his ascension and the Holy Spirit being poured out. Peter says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. This passage is a wonderful example, too, of the Trinity at work together. The Father has raised Jesus and has given him the promise of the Holy Spirit, and it's Jesus who is the one who pours out the Holy Spirit to us all. So as I come to an end, I'd like to invite the band back up, just as I come to my last point. See, Jesus' ascension and heavenly ministry benefits us in so many ways. As we've seen, the ascension into his heavenly ministry is not just about the moment that Jesus left earth, but this is an event that benefits us so many ways and for all time. Jesus has been fully accepted by the Father. And because we are in Christ, we too are fully accepted by him. More than that, Jesus is continually praying for us and with us. And therefore, as believers, we are no longer condemned. We can take great comfort knowing that that we worship Jesus who is enthroned in heaven with all authority, glory, power, and honor. Jesus' return to heaven is a guarantee that we too will be with him for eternity. And one day we will have a resurrection body like his. And for now, he's with us every day by his spirit. Jesus' ascension foreshadows our own future ascension. When Jesus returns, he will take us physically to himself too. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes, we will be caught up together in the clouds with the Lord to meet him in the air, and we will always be with him. And last point, if that isn't enough, which it really is a lot, because we are in Christ, we are able to share in part with his authority over the universe. Paul writes this in Ephesians 2, God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Yes, one day we will be with him in the future, but Paul explains that this is also true right now in the present. He says we are seated with Christ right now. Of course, not physically, but we can, in some small measure, share in Christ's authority when we pray. So let's pray boldly for breakthrough, believing that God can do all things, knowing that not only does God pray with us, but he has given us authority too because we are seated with him. 
I'd like to uh, finish now to pray. And I think the only thing we can do in response to knowing that Jesus has ascended on high is to spend some time in worship. So we're going to sing together in a moment. But I'd love to pray for you. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you came for us. We thank you that you are the unique son of God. We thank you that you came and you gave your life for us on the cross. You loved the world so much that you would give yourself fully. And we look now at your ascension, that you left this earth, but you didn't leave us stranded. You sent us your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are with us for all eternity. We thank you that you are reigning supreme. You are uniquely seated in all authority, in all power, over all other names. And we honor you today as only we can. You deserve all the glory. You are the only one worthy to enter the Father's presence. And yet through your love and your death on a cross, we are received to the Father too. We thank you, Jesus, for all you have done and we worship you now. Amen. Thank you. God bless.